0: We're piping now.
1: Hello there, podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Stephen George podcast. I am Stephen Hussey, and with me is Mr. George Taylor. How are you, George? All right. All right, George. Um, We are talking today about the very big and timely topic, perhaps universal topic, that is happiness. So, we're very much biting off more than we can chew today, uh, taking on something great philosophers, great thinkers, great scientists have all tried to tackle, and here we are, two humble English boys, having our crack. Um, So, the great father of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, said that the most essential thing to happiness is meaningful work and fulfilling relationships. That was quite a simple formula, but not a bad place to start. And the reason I wanted to talk about this topic and very much thrust it upon George, who said, I'm not an expert. And I said, I don't care. Let's do a podcast about it. Um, Is because I feel that 2019, the 21st century where we are now, I think can feel like one of the most difficult times to be happy. And that might seem a bit arrogant given that we've had historical horrors like world war ii the black plague many other difficult periods of history but i think we live in a world that we're not prepared for today where we have uh increasing connectivity we have constant distraction we have a world of choice we have a lot of things to think about and we have a hell of a lot of competition as well and so i think you see this repeated pattern of people complaining about burnout, anxiety, depression, uh, people struggling just to find a way to feel at peace, uh, constant rise of meditation and spirituality. I think very much has been a way to try and combat that and a salve to the way people feel stressed uh, today. So I think this is A topic that we're going to do a short we're not going to do a long podcast on this today and it's very much a Conversation we'll come back to but I want to talk about why we find it so hard to be happy And maybe we can just share some of our own struggles and the ways we've found to become happier in our own lives um, george How would you describe your relationship to the concept of happiness? Is it something you hold in great regard? Is it is it something you seek as the purpose of life?
0: Great question. Um, as you know, Steve, I warned you just before the podcast started that I've actually been out drinking. Um, so, you know, just take a bit of the edge off. Um, I don't one, know that's that... one route. That's one route. <laughs> Self-medicate. Um, There's
1: more than one way to the goal.
0: Absolutely. No, I, th- I think something you said there was really interesting, that, that Freud quote about um, that combination of what, meaningful work? Or was it lo- meaningful work and lasting relationships?
1: yeah i think it 's meaningful work and fulfilling relationships fulfilling or, relationships or
0: I think that the the thing that is really pertinent in two thousand and nineteen for me is that i i 'm certainly glad i 'm not a young a younger person or a teenager in two thousand and nineteen. I think that would be very difficult um, to handle i think during formative years uh, because I think we are in that kind of society that has so many Uh, easy routes for people to compare themselves to others and the kind of glossy lives that people present on social media and I think it's very easy for people to use those interconnected channels to present you know really fulfilling work and amazing relationships and I think often that is a great veneer that people put up and is not at all the truth of what's going on you know people's lives are a lot like I don't know an iceberg or a swan or something right like you see what's above the surface but there's tons of stuff happening underneath that you don't see and um, as for happiness with that going on people are people are giving a very false presentation of what's what whereas you know we're both 30 10 15 years ago or when we were teenagers that wasn't really something we had to contend with until maybe we were in our, our very late teens and I can see that causes a lot of baggage for people now. It must be a very difficult thing, certainly for parents to deal with, with younger children. Um, so I'm glad that's not present for me as, when you say is it your kind of, the the motive behind your life or what your uh, relationship with it is in your life, having it as such a clear um, social comparative from early on would be a very difficult thing to to. F- follow up on i think so i'm I'm glad that's not present for me and i'm in a position to create a bit more meaningful happiness because i'm not just doing it for the sake of comparison but i'm actually pursuing things that i've taken the time to find meaningful um i don't know if that's the same for you
1: yeah i um, am
0: i just i'd just like to say that the upper the sort of upward inflection I made at the end of that sentence in hindsight did not make me happy. That made me quite unhappy with myself (laughs) that I did that, but I just wanted to flag that up.
1: That's the drink talking. Don't worry about that. Yeah, slurring my words. um, I, um, yeah, well, I, you know, I think we do, things are different now than they were, even when, you know, I know it's, it's the biggest cliche to say the world changed very quickly. Um, I think we we did grow up in a in something of a technological revolution where things things changed extremely vastly from when say we were about even about thirteen or something. I think things are very different now I mean maybe on the scale of history it 's not so much but it it is considering how much um, the things we have to think about have changed and you know just to take a step back from this like i I wonder your opinion on this because happiness is obviously a big topic today and i sometimes wonder is that because it's harder never to be happier or is it because you know are we just in an extremely privileged part of mm. um, extremely pri- privileged timing in history where basically we have the luxury to actually concern ourselves with yeah. our mental well-being and fulfillment in certain ways because on the one hand this can seem this on its own could seem like an extremely Sort of entitled, privileged discussion, right? That we're saying things are very stressful today, and this is difficult, and I can't choose my career and my relationships, etc. Yeah, and then it's
0: first-world first problem stuff, right?
1: Right, yeah, and and yet, yeah, you know, it's a, obviously a universal. It, it's something that the ancient Greeks were worrying about, and people were talking about what the secret is to the good life or a happy life. But um,
0: again, okay, no, yeah, but they're quite privileged group of ancient greeks right it's not the sort of average slave rowing the ship isn't concerned about happiness in the same way it's to concern oneself with happiness is quite a, a privileged sort of concession to make right
1: right right and um i mean part of me wonders it you know perhaps it is just that we perhaps we do just expect more from life or perhaps it is that we just have Attended to certain physical needs so that our mental needs become the forefront of our minds but but I do think the topic of happiness is worthwhile because I think no matter where you are any position that the problem is You can't stake it on you know, like you say you can well You you, we we can have all these luxuries and all the things we have in the Western world technology, etc But it doesn't really solve the basic human condition of you start thinking I'm not good enough, I, you know, whatever, I'm not successful enough, I'm not good looking enough and you now have this world where you feel like you're competing on a global scale with everyone all the time and I, and I think that part is different where I think that perhaps in older civilizations in other times you may be just concerned yourself with where you stood within a tribe of about 50 people or 100 people or even just your neighborhood even if it's going back to the 40s or something and I think I think there is it is an unprecedented time where you now do have to look at the entire world and almost benchmark your whole life and your worth on basically where the entire world is as well so no no matter where you are it's not even like oh well I'm I'm in a good standing in my my community and I you know I have these things sorted out but then you'll see other people online and you go well they live this incredible life and or, or they've achieved so, such amazing things or look at all these other things I could be doing right now that I'm not. And this is one thing I think makes people unhappy a lot, right? Is the unlived life you could be living. It's, it's like, like now. Yeah, well, once you like FOMO, once you're exposed to how many possibilities there are and how many different paths you could go down. It now seems so overwhelming that even if you're choosing something you think you love and that means something to you, if you're not careful, you could constantly be bugged by this potential shiny other alternative where you think, wow, I'm really doing this computer programming right now, but what if instead I was an entrepreneur and, and started a business? Maybe I should do that and be like that person. And I, I think that, again it sounds like a privilege problem but actually it's pretty it's pretty torturous if you i think a lot of people do live that way and i think it can be it's a pretty torturous place to be if you can't find you know find peace in terms of what you're doing like actually living in your own world and not comparing yourself to the entire world do you do you find that at all do you get anxiety by just being exposed to how many choices you have is that something you've learned to do better
0: oh that it's definitely a it's definitely a factor I, i don't know that it's something that i'm i don't know stricken with but of what you said there there's two points spring to mind for me one of them is the kind of idea that in contemporary society in many ways ignorance can be bliss if you're just not you know not aware of oh there's you know a billion Chinese guys who are doing amazingly well, and you're also competing with them in the international job market, not just the kids you were at school with. If you just don't let that crush you, because you're all, you know, the numbers game's always going to win out, and you're always going to be one of many. I, I do think it. you're kind of better to not know. But I, I do think as well, like attention span is a real issue there. I think if the kind of contemporary social media scrolling flicking multiple streams of you know different distractions makes it very easy to think oh i'll be an entrepreneur oh no i'll be a computer programmer oh no i'll take this job whereas i think you know our parents generation wouldn't have been stricken with that plethora of choices just because they wouldn't have had the sort of stream of information flowing into them and in many ways that's kind of a better environment to allow yourself to grow into being a specialist in something or at least a, a career where your life's purpose takes on a route that you've pursued earnestly for a while not to say that that's the best way to be but it it can give you a meaning in of itself whereas if you're just exposed to all these options it can be it can be very distracting something I've personally dealt with has been pursuing I don't know in the last four years I've pursued three or four different avenues of like potential opportunities and certain ones have worked out certain ones haven't and there is an element of oh the grass is always greener and well it's not but if you live in a world where you can see what you know ostensibly five six billion other people are up to you're always going to see something that's more exciting than what you're doing um i think you just have to kind of draw a line a line in the sand really i'm looking over at my notes steve and I don't know if this is kind of depressing or not, but the first note I have on our topic of how to be happy in 2019 is, have a healthy dose of cynicism. I, right. I think it's like, because we do spend so much time looking at these kind of veneers of what's going on, or we read articles about what people should be doing, or these great kind of meaningful lives that really young and successful people are having. There's you know that doesn't mean those people are happy, that doesn't mean that that life is ideal, that doesn't mean that what they're doing hasn't been foisted upon them with years of pressure from their parents, all these many, many things. But the we're certainly in a generation where the outward presentation of how people's lives go is not the full story, and I don't think that was something that afflicted generations prior to ours. Of course, there were different difficulties, but I think that's. That's certainly the particular contemporary difficulty that we have to deal with. And I th- I, it's probably more pertinent if you are um, living in the maybe self-employed space or even the online work space, it's particularly prevalent. But I, I do think a healthy <laughs> dose of cynicism is really important to a kind of happier outlook because it just lets you shrug off. I don't mean cynical to the point of you know misanthropic, but being able to shrug off and just sort of sort the wheat from the chaff as to what's true and what's maybe people's presentation of what they want other people to think versus what's actually going on.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a good point. Actually, um, I I haven't thought of it like that in terms of cynicism, but I I actually agree. And I uh, I think it's amazing how even if you feel you know you feel like you're a reasonably intelligent person it's crazy how easy it is to get sucked into that that feeling and that world just by pure image alone. And you can easily, it, you know it's a fake story, but you can completely get sucked into, you know, even if it's just believing that other people live a more glamorous existence than you do. It's so seductive. And you're probably having that effect on other people at times as well and don't even know it. Abs- um,
0: oh, absolutely. But also, you kind of you know you've not got the, like, everyone should sort of sit there and know, and and maybe unless you are, I don't know who, Leo DiCaprio, unless you're him, you don't have the most sort of glamorous, seductive life, right? So, like, unless you are that person, you aren't number one, so why worry about if you're number five or number 50 or number 5,000, right? Like, if you aren't the person who just won the Oscar and is running around like a sort of crazy person in celebrity land, you aren't number one, so why, why sweat it? I, I kind of think yeah.
1: that maybe. And as I'm always trying to tell people, George, being on a boat with Victoria's Secret models is not as fun as it looks, you know. And, I, and I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to tell people that, but sure. they don't believe sure. me. Um, yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, if if I if I get in touch with Leo, I'll definitely ask him about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think it. Uh, I think one of the things actually that that is important in not getting sucked into so so there's two there's actually two things I want to say on what you just said the first is you, you saying about you know not getting that 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 glamorous lifestyle and sort of having a cynical look on it but I, I think there's something in realizing the pleasure because C- I think I have a similar thing that I think happiness in part is low expectations and mm-hmm. I think I think there's so much to learning to be happier doing mundane things because i think so much of everyone's real life especially you know even if you're trying to do something that's successful and you're ambitious or whatever it is you, most of your life is still taken up with mundane activities of working mm-hmm. of you know trying to even if it's trying to get better at your a skill or your craft if it's trying to Work on your relationship with your family and your friends and your girlfriend or your boyfriend. There's so much of it that is just the ordinary stuff. And I feel like in some ways, if your expectation is, I can only be happy when life is extraordinary or when I'm achieving some peak moment, you're you're kind of doomed then because peak moments are actually... The reason they're special is because they 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 only come along maybe a they're few rare, times a year, yeah. times every few years, whatever. It's that like that moment when something great happens, or when you, you know, you're on that really cool vacation with your friends, or you're having a great time. It's like if you're living for those moments, you're in trouble because it's going to be punctuated by a lot of ordinary things. And I and that's where I think the meaningful things, like the meaningful work thing, come in. Like once you go deep on something. I found that my career has got better the more I've gone deep and not tried to spread options over many things. Like, what the more I've, and I think this is a part of getting into the next stage of life, I guess, once you get, go through your initial adolescence and young 20s. I think, I think starting to make some choices and close down options, I actually think there's a great happiness in that. And in saying, I'm not going to try and do everything. I'm going to try and do less but do the things I really love and I think that's true with the people you surround yourself with I think I think when I was in my early 20s I used to try a lot harder to have this extremely expansive circle of a lot of people and and I think what ends up what ended up happening for me and you might disagree because actually you you have a much wider social circle than I do and, and maybe Partly, that's because you're much better at socializing than me, to be honest. Because um, so I respond but, to um, text messages. And you respond to text messages, so you keep friendships. And <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm working on that. Um, but um, I, I find that, for me, at things like who I have around me can really affect even my values. Like, if I'm around, say, more shallow people... I can suddenly start finding myself caring about more shallow things or more materialistic things. And mm-hmm. I find that the the thing in my thirties that has made me the happiest has been closing down, say refining my social circle to a very few people who give me a lot of happiness and whose values I feel aligned with me. Whereas when I used to try and have a bit more of everything, I used to find myself in certain social company. Like I, you know, I found a lot of social events. I don't, I don't get a lot of pleasure out of quite a lot of social things Uh, and I have to be very selective, but I found myself at a lot of things in my twenties where I'd just be at a, I don't know, a dinner or a party or something. And I just think like, I I don't, I don't care for the things these people care for. And I find myself feeling less happy for spending time with them. On my list, on
0: my point two on my list of things I've written down is have friends you can be yourself with
1: okay so yeah so so what do you think of that do you think refining down is the key or do you find like have you have you found yourself more ruthless about friendships as you get older Uh,
0: no not not ruthless in the sense of i can't be this person's friend anymore but i think if if you live a fairly stressful life or you you've got a demanding job or you know you've got demands on you that don't allow you to be necessarily happy, but they're just a necessity of survival. Um, and then you get, I don't know, a day at the weekend or something to spend time with other people. You don't want to be putting on pretenses, I think. You don't want to be talking about or concerning yourself with things that you feel disingenuous about or you're yeah, you're you're playing a part. I think there's just so much energy wasted in maintaining that. Um, it's possibly easier said than done it might not be a it's like a fairly difficult thing it's sort of the luck of the drawers to who you meet in the various circumstances in your life but friends where you you just feel that you can be earnest with or honest with it it brings me a lot of happiness to be able to be in the company of a friend and say no i don't want to do that that suggestion you said i don't want to do and they don't take offense at that you know or I'm not in the mood for that. I'm just going to go and go home or actually I'd rather do this. And the friend go, Oh, that's cool. Like each their own. There's so, to me, there's so much value in that rather than this is what we've all decided to do. You have to come along and do this. And people, people are certainly um, go through a lot of obligations with their social, social circumstances. And I think when you have limited time, when your free time then becomes obligations to kind of meet an expectation that other people have. And often the other people aren't pushing that agenda for any kind of nasty reason. They're just under a sort of a false assumption that you want to be doing that. It just creates, can often create a lot of animosity, I think. So being able to just be very clear in, I'm going to say no to this thing you've put forward, but it's nothing personal. It's just that today this would make me happy and tomorrow it wouldn't. People need to you know, need the option to be able to to pursue those kinds of decisions. I think there's a lot of happiness to be had in not feeling socially pressured or guided into having to, to do things.
1: Yeah. Um absolutely. And I think living under living under anyone's expectations really. And and I find there's been for me there's been a conscious, you know, I real, I've realized how much at times I've been basically pursuing things or pursuing goals in some ways that are sometimes not even my goals. They're just goals I've acquired maybe through parental influence or expectation. Or I realize I'm doing an entire, you know, I've been doing an entire activity because I think like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Or this is what someone my age is supposed to enjoy. What's an example
0: and- of those activities?
1: so you know to go back to when i was younger i I was a lot more susceptible to this when i was a teenager There, there were so many things i would do because i think that um it would make my parents happy to see it do you know what i mean and i think everyone does this when you're a kid like i think um you know i played sports more like i still enjoy certain sports today it's a much more selective thing you know i really wanted to row at oxford I really love playing squash, but those were things I chose. But I think, you know, I, I, I thought, oh, well, it will impress my parents or my dad more if I play rugby or football or something. And, you know, I would see that they would be pleased I'd be doing that. And so I'd do it despite not liking it at all and not being very good at it, and but still do it and just have this activity that I would dread a lot and just think, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. I barely understand rugby still to this day, George. (laughs) Um, And uh, the outdoorsy team sport thing is not really my bag. Um, And the whole rugby culture is not my bag. So it was a pretty lethal combination. But and yeah, it took me years to kind of coach myself out of some of that thinking. That's not a a
0: particular problem to 2019, though, is it?
1: No, no, but... Uh, I think that carried on to, it can even just carry on, I think, to wanting to do things for the image of it, but maybe it's even going to parties, maybe it's even just a certain kind of travel that maybe you don't even want to do it, but you're kind of thinking, well, that that will be a thing that's supposed to be good. Yeah. And it will uh, people will think I'm cool if I do that or people will think wow, that's amazing And you kind of have to. you have to be on your guard quite a lot I find to think do I really want to do this? Do I so, sometimes look, look, it's a trivial example, but let's say going to a party Sometimes it's good for you to get out of the house and go to a party and you might not initially feel like it and sometimes you're like actually I haven't socialized in a while. And, and once you get out the house and make yourself do it, you're like, I'm really glad I came to this. But, but I feel like the happiness point then is realizing, having the self-awareness to be like, now I've had enough and I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel the need to... I think some people do get this social pressure where they think I'm not going to be able to say that I don't want to do that next bit. Or I, I'm not going to be able to say no to that, that thing I don't want to do. And once you learn to just, I, I think you, I, to be honest, George, I think you're probably just, you're naturally better at just, uh, you know, saying what you want in that way. But I think it took me a while to be able to comfortable with being, just saying things like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, <clears throat> and I think that was like a big... I got addicted to that for a while when I realized I could just say no to things and not do it. Well, not, there's not, I think to, a, not have a, to make up an explanation or not have to say anything other than just, oh, I don't really feel like it tonight. I want to do that. And it was like a big revelation that I could just say no to things.
0: Well, yeah, the, a big lesson for that is that there generally aren't repercussions, right? Unless it's like, will you go to your sister's wedding? No, I don't fancy it. There's going to be knock on effects, but in general, <laughs> right in general, right? Like, Oh, do you want to come out tonight? No, forget it people go oh all right and then they go and have their night out and it doesn't it doesn't matter people forget about you i think i when i you you might not believe this because i'm i'm half cut at the moment but uh the uh, during my sort of teenage years i i didn't drink i didn't really drink at all until i was 23 24 and going through the kind of university system as someone who does not drink at all gets you very. I don't know, you become quite, I don't know, you develop a thick skin for being able to say no and a lot of peer pressure at university, for example, with like drinking culture and that sort of stuff, just being able to sort of shrug it off and go, no. People forget very quickly, particularly as an example, when people have been drinking, that you just learn very quickly that sort of bowing to peer pressure for certain things just has no benefit. People don't remember. There's nothing of any real consequence for doing it and... You know, just being able to say, I'd rather stay in, I'd rather go out, whatever you want to do, um, Other, it just doesn't matter. People people are very self-centered, right, or self-interested and don't care what you say. So as long as you're not doing anything particularly spiteful or some someone's relying on you to do something and you renege on it, as long as that's not happening, then just be forthright in the things you want to do and people will be very happy for you to get on with them.
1: Yeah, I, I think I grew up with a very people-pleasing mentality that um, it was just, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to sort of frustrate or annoy people or I, I could easily just be convinced in something if I thought, oh, they won't be happy if I don't do that, so I'll do that. Mm. Um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been an uncoaching process. Um, but I want let's, to – let's go to a personal level, George – uh-huh. Right now, um, you know, out of us two, I, I don't think anyone would say neither of us would be described as happy-go-lucky individuals. I think <laughs> is, that,
0: is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, because no,
1: I, I I have this thing where I think that people I have a, I don't know about you, but I I think people always assume I'm less happy than I am. I think,
0: uh-huh.
1: and I'm not. I'm definitely not. Like I'm. I'm not someone who can. I have to do things to keep myself say in a positive state and, and we'll go on to talk about maybe some of those things to do, but I don't, I don't live in positivity. Like I can get gloomy. I can get a spell of feeling kind of um just down for like an hour for sort of no reason. But I, I, I don't know if that, I think that's fairly normal, but it, you know, I can go through kind of a bit like the weather. You can feel very good for a while and then maybe you can just kind of feel a bit like you know, I like I like being alone a lot. I like having a lot of time to do things and to read. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of I lean towards being a bit of a solitary person. But I think for other people, I, I actually enjoy that. And I think for other people, they can look at me and think they think that maybe oh, he wants to be on his own. He's like in a they think maybe I'm in a bad mood or I'm like being gloomy or something. But I'm actually quite enjoying that and want to do it. But do do you find that at all that people assume you're do people assume you're less happy than you are?
0: Uh, along with not drinking when I was at university, I don't know. If, I don't know if there's any pictures of us out there, Steve, as part of this podcast. But if people haven't seen me, I I cannot smile. It, my sort of default setting is just the sort of yeah dead sort I've of you notice that. My, yeah, my face is is pretty dead. Um, it's sort of expressionless. Uh, sort of gun. <laughs> And, no, but you know, hold
1: on, though you you do sm- you don't smile in pictures. You yeah, do smile I, yeah, no, in, yeah, but not, like,
0: not in like a sort of spikely political way. I just I, I don't have um a particularly relaxed face. I don't know. You catch me in a candid moment, I'll be I'll be cracking a grin. But in general, I find it fairly difficult to, to <laughs> smile. There's probably some deep 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 rooted uh, happiness issues there. But I'd, I'd go through. I'd go out to a nightclub at university, stone cold sober obviously the sort of debauchery going on, a kind of undergraduate drinking level of wildness is happening. And people would come up to me and go, oh, why don't you smile? smile- you should smile. It's just like, that's not going to make me happier, is it? Like, you know, pointing out that I'm, I don't look happy when I'm probably also not happy is not going to make me smile. And I, f- I find, I do find it very strange when, other people need you to behave in a certain way to validate their experience of something. Um, Yes. That's, I find that bizarre. It crops up. It crops up often in the night out. It's like, it's almost the insecurity of other people there, right? Like, Hey, this guy stood here and he's not smiling. Maybe this night isn't as great as I thought it was. Let's make him (laughs) smile. So everyone knows we're having a good time. Or does this guy know something we don't or, just who's the buzzkill but whatever it is it's like why does that affect someone else's experience i find that very strange but um,
1: and- i mean i couldn't i you you know me that that sort of thing infuriates me as well and uh it's usually it's usually i'll be i'll be perfectly fine and they uh, even even i might be in conversation with someone george actually like having a conversation enjoying it and then someone will still like tell you to smile or something yeah and you'll be like, I'm literally having a good time.
0: Yeah, how, how dare walking, you? But
1: yeah, but I'm just talking to someone. And, yeah, I, I do. Strangers I that would
0: do that to though. me. I don't know if that happens to you. Often strangers, and uh, often when you're sober in a nightclub at a university when most other people aren't sober, there's not too much talking, of, of, talking with people of the opposite sex. And right. the only interaction that you do have with those people is when they come up and go, oh, go on, smile. You <laughs> uh, it takes some of the sting out
1: of it yeah and and it is frustrating because i actually feel in general i'm a pretty um pretty balanced person like in terms of like yeah like i say i i, I try and just enjoy normal things and i try i'm I kind of probably live at quite an even keel where i i can i don't get like super crazy you know Bouncing around the room positive, but I don't actually I don't go super negative either, do you know uh, You know, I think I managed to keep on a pretty even keel and I I feel most of the time pretty good except you know You have these things where you can like get into a I think just a negative negative self-talk or I find I find you can get into negative thought patterns just by Some of the things we're talking about really where you can lose focus on the things that matter and you can start thinking about the things you, you things you want, or you start thinking about the things you lack or the things you haven't achieved, or you start you start doing these sort of really destructive, pointless things, and you realize I, I think there was a breakthrough for me in realizing that this isn't this isn't some inherent condition. This is literally this is literally like I'm following down a garden path of thought in my mind that will lead to somewhere negative and I can actually internally choose not to follow those thoughts. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I don't like to get into the whole um, say a load of spiritual positive mantras or anything like that. I, I find that forced positive thinking stuff probably more destructive than helpful because I think <clears> it makes you think there's something wrong with you for not feeling great all the time. But I do find you can. there there is a part where you can almost like operating software, you can choose to run different software in your brain. And and I'm a lot better at even just finding the right right inspirational, I don't know, there might even just be watching an interview with someone I love, watching the right thing on TV, listening to the right piece of music, even just referring, like I write down certain notes when I notice like, Oh, this thing puts me in a better mood. And you can almost hack your brain to decide, I'm going to go back to that place when I was feeling really grateful. I'm going go yeah, to go back to that place where I was feeling really inspired.
0: You're sort of mm-hmm? priming your mindset to be the positive side, right? That's honest, honestly, point three that I have written down on my sheet is um, as a kind of a tip or something that I've found really helpful is during interactions is don't, be negative when there's an opportunity to be at least some way positive right even if you're just recounting this happened and this outcome has occurred at least lead with the positive of the two i don't mean like there's some good news and some bad news but like oh this has happened we're able to do this but we're not able to do this often people will go well the whole thing's gone wrong we're not able to do this and just negate the positive side of the thing and it's like if as I feel like everyone has a responsibility to kind of contribute to the cumulative good. If, if that makes sense of just bringing up everyone's average happiness by, you know, if there's some bad going on, but some good as well, at least mention the good or like seek a little bit of acknowledgement for the good. Because if it's just so incredibly draining to just be met with negativity, if you've, you feel like you've put something good out there I, th- I feel like it's on everyone to go. Oh well, well that bit was great. We've got some issues we need to work through here, but this bit was great, and that at least gives someone something to hang on to. If someone or if someone's met with or you meet people with, just well that that's not working. That's a big problem. It just it it yeah. changes your mindset. And if you know you have three interactions like that at the start of your day, where just people could have gone either way, but they choose to go the negative way of the two options it just gets you down however however bouncy or positive you are if you're a stepford wife if you respond like that to them you're just you're going to lose it so it's something that i i think it's really useful in building sort of social groups or maintaining social relationships just being able to note at least some positive in any interaction um makes a big difference for the both people in in that interaction the the talker and the respondee
1: yeah yeah i love that and it's uh I, I can think of exact people where who who they they just it's like putting a wall down at the conversation and they just say like that that was rubbish or that that was crap or it didn't yeah. work. Or, yeah, yeah. I, I remember working with someone who used to do that very early on in our company. They don't work with us now, but <laughs> they would just just have this very blunt, like awful way of saying if if something we all tried didn't work, and they would just have the most negative. You know, shutting down and not seeing, like you say, not not seeing. Like, well, it was interesting because that part that part did do well, though. or well, that was an interesting thing. It was just like that was crap. It failed, and it's just like you you can't like you can't go through feeling like that. It it, it just makes everything too difficult. And uh, yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not saying like don't you know don't be a realist about it. And I I agree with having like I said having a dose of cynicism and stuff. But there's there's just, it's a tone and an outlook. And if you can just have that little, just a thread of, oh, well that was cool. You know, the whole thing was a disaster, but we found this out. At least there's some positive to latch onto that just kind of says, I'm here to continue a productive dialogue. That's going to get us to the next stage rather than it oh, all went horribly wrong. It's over. I mean, all right, then we'll just all walk away. You know, a, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of building. Everything's just a kind of like a, like a an accretion of ideas and just you're building layers upon layers of on top of every moment that continues and you can't do that with just negativity right whether you're internally happy or not you need to just sort of build towards a, a more sort of conducive group dynamic
1: yeah and they, and again I think it's where the the thing of like a pre like the low expectations thing comes in a bit again because if you if your opinion is going to be something's a success or great or it's just crap Then it's like like i make videos with my brother matthew hussey every week and you know if we had the sometimes we'll get an outrageous success or something is just a smash and does really well but you know you you can't live off like thinking well let's hope we get another smash next week or let's try and like it's, it's great if it's a smash and then it's crap if it's not because you're, you're just everything is going to become drudgery then and everything that's not that height is going to be uh, a disappointment. So I, I think, yeah, the low expectations thing sounds negative, but I think there's something to just not not, um, not wanting everything to be a peak experience, you know, just enjoying it when it's normal and enjoying it for what it is when you have like a peak transcendent moment
0: if you always think the worst of people then you'll always be pleasantly surprised
1: (laughs) 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 um how long have we been running for george i'm worried about time
0: Uh, i think we've, we've probably ticked off about 40 minutes 40 minutes of bliss for the listener
1: should we, do you want to keep it a nice, dense meat sandwich there and move to our recommendations? Because I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of ground in this.
0: I, I'm happy to do that. I've got one more point, Steve, um, that I'd like yeah, to maybe please. push, which is certainly, it gets worse as every year goes on, but the it's world... Not you're drinking, is it? It's not, it's not <laughs> we're drinking. Um, it's that the world is really, really noisy. And a piece of great advice I've got is just avoid noise. Noise oh, dr- drives me up the wall, Steve. I'm walking around I'm walking around a city, pneumatic drills going off, a lorry goes past, someone bibs a horn. I am I'm walking around, I'm so tense all the time, my back's up, I hate it. i like d you're like a, you're
1: like a dad ball. in a you're like a dad in a beano comic. He's like walking, <laughs> he's like walking out. He's walking out, the fusty old fella, like there's noise, there's drills going off. Dennis is up to his trick.
0: Honestly, though, it does me in. I don't know about you, but to be happy in 2019, I just need earplugs, noise-canceling earphones, and mobile phones going off, just avoiding, avoiding noise at all costs. Noise or, and I'm going going to carry my rant on a little bit here when technology doesn't quite do what it's supposed to do that's a very contemporary issue no mobile phone signal for example i i lose my rag if a phone call drops out in the middle of a call i go from being sort of peppy and you know chirpy and mister always try and be a little bit positive to i I just lose the plot completely um (laughs) those, those two things kill me they absolutely kill me so uh yeah, a, a this is noise. Like,
1: George's fiance gets frustrated with him because he doesn't like phone calls. But not only that, but he gets actively mad when a phone call when the signal's bad. He starts getting irate. So that poor woman is going to have a lifetime of angry calls with you. Oh
0: well, I mean, I've, I've made my point. I've made my position very clear. I don't. I she don't know have... She
1: knows what she's like. She knows what she signed up for.
0: Yeah, more for her.
1: No, no one can say she wasn't warned.
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> no, it, so, does it not wind you up walking through like a busy road, hearing loads of noise, cars, um, the sort of ticking over of a, an articulated lorry? It just it cuts through me.
1: I uh, well, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, you know, I'm also famously very much a city lover, George. So I do, I do like the buzz of a city and things happening. I don't love the I love mean, the
0: pneumatic drill.
1: No, I don't love the pneumatic drill. Um, I'm, known, I'm known to walk around a lot with headphones in. So I do, you know, my, probably, it'll be interesting to ask everyone actually what their, their best happiness producing purchase is, but pro- probably a good old pair of noise-canceling headphones It's probably added quite a bit of happiness to my wandering wandering around. And I like to take walks a lot. So walking around a city with a uh, cancelling out a lot of the external noise definitely helps. Um, yeah. Actually, it was an interesting little pithy saying that someone said that happiness is, um, this isn't related to noise, but hang on. Let me just find the quote. Oh yeah. The key to eternal happiness is low overhead and no debt. So that was by by Linda Barry. So keep your costs down and no debt and, uh, you'll be loving it. People Um,
0: who don't have debts are happier than people who do have debts. (laughs) I mean, yeah, she's got a point, Linda. Great. Um,
1: no, I like I like the low overhead though bit like living below your means. I think I think there's something to that. Um, but uh, yeah, what what is your best? What's your best purchase to increase your happiness? I'd be interested in hearing that from people. Answer in the comments on SoundCloud or iTunes. No, not iTunes. SoundCloud or Twitter. Um,
0: yeah. For me, Steve, it'd probably be books.
1: Books. Okay. Just loads and of speaking books. Speaking of which. Speaking of which. What are your recommendations?
0: Absolutely seamless, beautiful. <laughs> um, I'll, shall I start with a book then? I'll um, I'll start with the novel that won last year's Pulitzer Prize, Steve. It's the novel *Less* by the novelist Andrew Sean Greer, and it Ooh. is a kind of a comic, picaresque about a, a middle-aged university professor he oh, he's a university professor, middle-aged, kind of academic writer. Who's um, uh, he's in a he was in a relationship with another guy. They they their relationship ends, and the other guy very quickly announces that he's getting married again, and he invites his ex to the wedding. And rather than go to the wedding, which would be this very awkward event, he books himself into a series of different um, academic teaching posts or lectures throughout the world over the next sort of six months so that he can just say I'm not otherwise engaged and it's it's a comic novel and it takes in loads of different places but it's a great I don't know a great take on the idea of what it takes to be happy how you how you project your happiness to others and how measuring your happiness against how others see you and how you're doing is maybe a really self-sabotaging way to sort of sort of frame yourself and actually take take more from just the things that mean a lot to you so he's a writer and he gets to re-engage with his writing and you know that kind of stuff and um i, I thought it was just it was really good fun it's uh you know it's sort of serious literature it won the Pulitzer Prize but it's also just almost a beach read and enjoyable um yeah i i thought it was it was really good, and it it has a lot to say about the kind of contemporary condition and how people's happiness is often measured against the image of others that they see. But it should not be us.
1: Wow, that's great. Um, I love that, and I've never heard of it, so let's pop it on the list. Beautiful. Um, what, have you,
0: what have you got for us?
1: Well, well, you've done a fiction, so I guess I'll do a non-fiction, and uh, I'll I'll go for a uh, the 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 nifty stoic bundle of um, Marcus Aurelius' meditations uh, combined with Seneca's very short essay on the shortness of life. Uh, I think those two encapsulate the best of Stoic philosophy, which I think is some of the best antidote to anxiety and overwhelm and just general things that can put you in a bad place. A lot of the – I guess the low expectations thing comes a bit into Stoicism – Um, There's quite a lot about the idea that how you can use obstacles to your advantage and see them as, you know, potentials to uh, see obstacles as a potential to something to overcome instead of something to feel miserable about how to almost uh, almost expect the difficult and challenging things that are going to come your way and reframe them in your mind, Uh, which I think the reframe, I think reframing obstacles is a big part of what makes me feel more mentally happy. Um, How much
0: uh, overlap is there, bet- or if any, is there between Stoicism and Cynicism? Um,
1: uh, well, I don't know what the traditional cynics who are in Greek... Mm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's real... You never really hear about whatever their writings are, so I don't know what, as a school of thought, if they're related to what we now call Cynicism. Yeah. It may be one of those terms where, like, you know, Stoics became this term that people saw stoicism as the idea of oh you're stoic you have l- no emotion stiff up a you're kind of robotic stiff yeah and i think the stoics are a bit different to that they mm-hmm. they definitely weren't like hedonists but they were they weren't sort of this grim they weren't this grim bunch which i think the word conjures up um yeah. i i think on the shortness of life I, I think those two are really interesting cuz marcus aurelius was an emperor uh, who was writing these things to deal with his own happiness. And then Seneca was a slave who was writing about similar ideas. So it's kind of someone at the top and the bottom of the mm-hmm. food chain. And and Seneca taught Nero and things like that, or try, tried to coach Nero out of being uh, a tyrant, essentially. I mean, he was um, probably
0: quite a happy bloke, Nero.
1: Yeah. But the book on the shortness of life is just a great little essay that almost makes you, yeah, just just realise to how limited your time is and how how you should be ultra selective because, you know, you have very limited time and energy and, and here's how you should enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I find those really inspiring. And then for music, I'm going to go to a film you didn't like, George, but I think the soundtrack is very jolly. And that is Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mixtape, which I think you can't go wrong with volume one or two uh, for a lot of feel-good 80s tracks. Lovely
0: stuff. very very perky my um that was your album recommendation right not your film yes
1: yeah that's the album
0: um i steve cracked my itunes open and typed in the word happy and the only album that came up with that in the title was well not even in the title but the band is the band happy mondays and the album pills and thrills <laughs> and belly aches um <laughs> But, I mean so it's we
1: all intoxicants to with you this week, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um it's it is a really great album though. It's got um it's got kinky afro, step on. Um it's just sort of jo- like jolly jangly pop music with a with a slightly cynical wry take by Mr. Sean Ryder. But um yeah, there's you know, just be happy, enjoy kind of Manx, chilling out in the sun. That's it really. Love it. <laughs> great um, stuff
1: great stuff um uh to go to film my film recommendation is just going to be a film that i think i was trying to think of film that really just inspires the feeling of you know what makes you think of the great things in life what brings you joy what brings me pleasure anytime i watch it and it has to be the life-changing adolescent hit ferris bueller's day off
0: oh yes. yes
1: where it's just about a guy who decides he's going to convince his friend to take a day off school and they're going to play hooky. And it's just about them trying to get away with having fun uh, all day. And it's just kind of about the value of, you know, the quote from it is, uh, life moves pretty fast, so you need to stop and take a look around once in a while. I've butchered it, but basically (laughs) that. Um, Yeah, and uh, it's just like you have a day why not fill it with the most fun fun things you can?
0: It's, it's a joyful film, for sure. Um, it's
1: joyful, it's profound, it's got a strong message about not conforming. It's, yeah, it's just John Hughes
0: at his very best. Beautiful. My film recommendation, Steve, is kind of the antithesis of that. Um, I came to my film pick based on the idea of is it harder to be happy later in, life or is it you know harder to be happy in 2019 versus when we were teenagers and sort of extrapolated that idea and then pulled out of out of thin air the film I've seen quite recently that I really enjoyed and once again Steve I'm dipping into a film that sort of predates the mid-50s the film in question is uh, a bit of a curveball for this but it's Sunset Boulevard directed by Billy Wilder um, not
1: known as it. Not known as a cheery classic.
0: Not a cheery classic at all, and that's not what I'm in it for. It's a combination of. Um, have you seen it? Uh,
1: I actually haven't. No. No.
0: Uh, it's. I thought it was absolutely fabulous, but it's about a an aging uh, silent film star who has kind of had her career wash wash up, and she's she's sort of living in kind of reclusive wealth as the rest of the world passes her by and has moved on to sort of talking pictures and everything's changed and it's about her and how she comes to terms or fails to come to terms with these changes and how she still sees how people perceive her and whether that ideal is is correct or not and at the same time there's an aspiring writer who wants to write, wants to be involved with creating, but he doesn't really have the means to do so. And through a series of bizarre events, allies himself with this woman and has the opportunity to pursue something he wants to do writing, but has to do it under some completely under the guise of someone else's demands and desires. And it's the kind of coming together of the delusions of her happiness and the kind of repressions of, his real intentions for what he sort of does for a cheap and easy life so by you know selling out a little bit he gets the trappings of happiness but he's not at all happy himself and she's delusional as a result of it and um it's it's a fabulous fabulous film one of the great one of the great old kind of old hollywood movies i would say and it sort of sums up what's going on in Hollywood and the dark side of a world that we often see as just being, you know, great and happy and beautiful and perfect, but under the surface, there's a lot of tension and drama going on.
1: Wow. Well, as I recently on my current trip to LA drove through Sunset Boulevard and I'm in West Hollywood, I should watch that before I leave, which I will.
0: Pop it on. Um,
1: Yeah. um, Well, that's lovely stuff. Uh, I think that's been a very tight, nice, crisp podcast, George, if I can review it as we're doing it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, shall we close out there?
0: Let's do it before we before we blow it.
1: Um, all right. Well, we know happiness is a tricky topic, and perhaps we'll return to it because I'm sure there's a lot more to chew on and say. Just scratch the um, surface. Mm. Yeah, we've scratched the surface. Uh, I hope you found this useful, found a few little tips and tricks. You can use and um, go and enjoy the rest of your day. George, you get some sleep. Don't drink a lot of water. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you very soon.
0: It's been a pleasure. Cheers, guys. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.